You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And as always is always the case when we have Umphrey's topics at hand, I'm very excited. So. Uh, you we say, you know, so Rob, I was listening back to several of our episodes, and it always starts off with "I'm so excited," and reality is we are excited, and quite frankly. I'm excited about this episode, too, because it's a unique one. If you've listened to our show before, this is off format, but a format which we really like. And speaking of previous episodes, if you like this one with Jake Sinegar, check out episodes 23 and 24 with Brendan Bayless, and episode 25 with Chris Mitchell, the man who has them all sounding good. But... In the future, we'll have Chris Myers from Humphreys McGee as well. Let's not forget that. Right, and what is the name of our platform, Seth? Osiris. That is right, the Osiris podcast platform. And you know, thanks to Osiris, we have a new a, a new sponsor. And that is Kushko. Kushko. In recent years, more communities are getting with it and allowing marijuana to be sold recreationally, which, by the way, in turn provides a ton of added tax revenues for schools, infrastructure, culture, sports, and all kinds of other stuff. Just ask anybody from Colorado, my friends. And with this change has come innovation in packaging. Like better containers for doobies and edibles. And there are many other useful innovations for which we have Kushko to thank. Kushko Holdings is a publicly traded company under the ticker KSHB. That's KSHB. And the parent to innovative cannabis industry leaders such as Kush Supply Company, Kush Energy, the Hybrid Creative, and Coleto Packaging Solutions. Kushko is a company... Poised to meet the evolving needs of the rapidly growing cannabis industry. And if you need proof, here it is. Kushko Holdings has now sold more than 1 billion units and it sells to more than 5,000 legally operated medical and adult use dispensaries, growers, and producers. And they are across North America, South America, and Europe. So please go to kushko.com slash podcast. Kushko.com slash podcast. Co.com. Co.com slash podcast. Kushko.com slash podcast. And you can learn more about this incredible and supremely cutting-edge company. And while Kushko services all facets of the cannabis industry, Kush has no direct involvement with a cannabis plant or any products that contain THC or CBD. Again, go to kushko.com slash podcast for more information. And they are publicly traded under the ticker KSHB. What's that? Kitty? Here, Kitty. Kush. Kitty Kush. Kushco.com slash podcast. Uh, <laughs> Rob, you know, when they when this uh, organization came through our channels to be able to uh, work with, I was very excited. But then I remembered that moment, right, that we just played. And 
That was a dream come true. So thanks for helping that come true. And thank you, Kush, for allowing us to continue our podcasting pleasures by being a sponsor. We appreciate it. So everyone, please do check out Kush. Hey, Rob, it's time for the thank you game. Are you ready for a round of thank yous? One, two, are you ready to do what you know what to do, Rob? Yes, thank you, Josh Thane, for all of your work. For all the things you've done over the years. And congratulations to Josh Thane. Josh Thane, our engineer. Folks, guess what? He's moved on from us, although he's still working with us whenever he can. Thank you, Josh, for doing that. But Josh is now not on the bottom of the podcast charts, but he's on the top of the charts. He's working with uh, the um, How Stuff Works and iHeartMedia. Doing some of the top podcasts, such as... Broken Hearts, Monster. There's a new one called Bizography that I'm sure is on its way. These are big-time podcasts. Check them out. Also, I want to say thank you to Spencer. Thank you to Cole, who was present with us while we did this Jake interview. We had Jake uh, Sinegar from Humphreys McGee and his amplifier, and Seth and myself. And uh, Humphreys was in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of their four nights at the Tabernacle in Atlanta. And they uh, are, as usual, embarking on multiple tours this year, including their return to the Fillmore in Detroit, February 22nd, 23rd. After the 22nd show, you can go to the Magic Stick and see Omega Moose. That is uh, Brandon Bayless and Ryan Stasek and Jamie Shields. Oh, my gosh. Is it Kush time again? Oh, my goodness. The Kush. Yes, Omega Moose. Kush reprise. <laughs> I've seen Omega Moose once. They were so fun. It was on Jam Cruise. Uh, Humphreys will be on tour this March uh, out west. They're doing a bunch of dates. You can go to Humphreys.com slash tour. Uh, they're doing dates with Big Something. Well, which before are- you go into those, before those dates, Rob, hold on to them because you said March, right? Yes. Well, if it's March, throughout it's the West. too close to April because, folks, don't wait till April to get screwed. Call Polay. Oh, yes, Robert. To get Polayed. That is true. But I was glad to see that Big Something will be doing well, but, it. But what is Polay? Polay Clark is one of the great financial companies of the East Coast. Accounting firms, if you will. Yes. Although it's not just accounting. They also give you financial advice and your whole financial outlook and how to allocate your money, how to spend it, how not to. A lot of times it is how not to, folks. It's about thinking big picture. And it's, you need financial people who don't just know the ever-changing tax laws, but they also care about you and uh, enough to tell you no sometimes. If you are signed up for our newsletter, you've, re- you've definitely received some information, some tax tips. Uh, we'll be sending more of those from Polay to all of you that are registered. If you're not on our email list, go to insideoutwtns.com, sign up for our newsletter. We'll be sending a lot more information and some games as well. I just cleared out the office and I found a bunch of Rob's old posters. So uh, if you're a Celtics fan, we've got something special for you. So it's great uh, to see that they're doing dates with Big Something. Humphreys McGee. Coming right up. Humphreys is coming right up in January and then again in March uh, out west. But also with Marcus King Band and uh, Robert Walters 20th Congress, who Robert was kind enough to debut a track from his new CD on our show. And um, really looking forward to more Humphreys dates. I'm going to go see them at the Ryman. Oh, Kevin Castles is coming from Asheville. Oh, my God. Kevin Castles? Yes. Oh, one of our, our our listeners love Kevin Castles. Mother Vinegar is Kevin Castles. And Carl Engelman, who wrote uh, about 10, 12 of the songs that Humphreys does, he is has written a bunch of fresh material. And Mother Vinegar is coming back. Tommy, Tommy David Tennyson on guitar and Kevin Castles. But anyways, the Nashville. Let's come to Nashville, folks. 
March 29th and 30th, the legendary Ryman. March 29th and 30th. Yeah, are you in, you want to come? You, you should come. I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe we could do our little Should we shindig. do a Nashville thing there? That's what I'd like to do, either just before that or just after. I'll tell you what. We'll talk about it in the outro, something Jake talks about during the interview, and that maybe we could do in Nashville. What do you say about that, Rob? Yeah. And Stick also, around, folks. We'll talk about uh, some of the other podcasts on the network. But for to slide us over to the interview, let's hand, hand the football off to Jake and his guitar. That is the sweet sound of Jake Sinegar, who is with Rose. Breathe in after you play something. You gotta go. <laughs> uh, I think we're gonna need to pause for a minute. Rob needs to change his pants. Uh oh, yeah, well, a little oozage. Oozage. <laughs> um, Good morning. How are you, Jake? Great, man. What uh, a year I mean, for you guys. What's what? What a good year. Yeah, yeah 2019. For, it's been an amazing oh year so far for the yeah. band. 2018. You released three records. I think it was your first three-night Red Rocks run. Yes, yes. Um, you crushed at Lockin' with a son of an original member of Led Zeppelin. Oh, my gosh. It, was, it, it has been. It's fleeting. This year just kind of zipped right by because we were so busy and productive. I think that's, that's the rule to rock and roll is to keep that artistic wheel turning constantly and just grab as much and go. And, and all the cream rises to the top. We're going to scoop it off and make songs. You know, It's like that sort of analogy of, of keeping it going throughout 20 years of creating, you know. But do you get to stop and smell the roses every once in a while and see what you've accomplished and yeah, taken I mean, in? Yeah, there's, there's a time when, um, you know, rock and roll bandwagon stops and you go back home and be, be a family man and put the guitar away for a while. And, you know, even for weeks, I won't touch a guitar. Really? And then it's, weeks? And then it's fresh perspective when you come back. You sort of look at the, the neck a little differently and see boxes that you'd never seen before. So it's kind of cool to, to take a break. It's like... Too much of a good thing could be a bad thing. You know? And for, for your fans, uh, I'm sure some of them are curious about your guitars. Do you ever take a break from playing certain specific ones? Because you have many, right? Yeah. I, well, he has a seven-string that he used on Yeah, them. I've got a custom seven-string. And uh, really cool, just for the heavier writing. You know, there's nothing like that lower B string beyond the, the low E, which is on a regular six-string. You just got to be careful with yeah, it. Yeah, you got to be careful. But what's cool is, is that Ryan, the bass player, has a five-string, so he's got that low B. So it's basically mirrors the five-string bass, so we can do these killer riffs on this low B string. I, like just, I, I just keep thinking they're just playing that, you know, the, the song, did it, didn't you, the B song, you know what I'm talking about? The, yeah, yeah, like Flight of the Bumblebee. <laughs> Flight of the Bumblebee, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I saw Dark Brush crossed off on the set list, and that was on the internet. That's not mm-hmm. anything I, you know, sorry, surreptitiously or whatever. No, it was last minute because we just did an angular jam in Plunger, and it seemed... Like, you know what, let's do a dance party because there's got to be that ebb and flow instead of setting two angular rockers right next to each other. So we'll do it tonight. But last night was a rocker, though. Just to, mm-hmm. if we can talk a little bit about the show. Absolutely. Itself, I think that For last sure. night, uh, second set, you guys came out and you did do a rocker and you brought, what was the tune they brought that they actually created here? Tell that story, Rob. 
uh, Remind Me was created on the only Humphreys McGee show that has ever performed on January 1st. Yeah. And um, will never happen again because you're competing with college football and you guys were all tired. But <laughs> We were like, why did we do this? <laughs> but you were tired, but you guys were loose. It yeah. turned out to be a really good show. It did. And that riff, the yeah. riff that you demonstrate on the Boondock Sessions. That Chris usually kicks up, you know, like a boom. We start to like think some, some ideas. I'm thinking, okay, let's get out of E and A. Let's go F sharp minor. I think I started the riff kind of like... like try to find myself and then it's like man it sounded like a hit you know instantly so Bayless took it home over a couple years time and then we have a finished baby you know? I, I just want to say because when, when I'm at your shows, usually when you do the improv, I get lost in it mm-hmm. and I and I and, and, and I love it. But I have to go to the board usually to to get you know to, and listen to it again to pick up on right, stuff because like those the information kind of behind it. Yeah. Those people are so I, I couldn't come on the board for about five minutes and see a hundred people who know you guys better than I do. Right. <laughs> but that night, that riff jumped out at me right away, so I yeah. was really pleased that that turned into a song. And the same exact thing happened with uh, in the kitchen. I think we did it at the Aggie Theater in Colorado, and this was like 2002. Just Chris started up a riff, and it was like. And then why not not go double time with it? And then do the. So that, that came out of just a jam, and that's one of our more successful tunes. So it's kind of weird what can happen in the moment at a show, and then it all of a sudden becomes this gem of a tune that everyone kind of knows in our fan base. It's great. Now, um, the improvisation approach has changed over the years. Um, it seemed like you used to have a clear-cut point, man, and that it would rotate. And right. nowadays it seems to kind of ease into, you guys kind of work it out, and then generally you, if there's any point, man, it's you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like we over the years we've found our roles in the band a little bit more, more comfortably now. Wait, so was was it very organic in that, or was it uh, yeah. democratic in a way? No, I think it just automatically kind of happened. I th- I feel like I'm always hearing other things inside the music, like what could happen in the present tense when we're up there. So so say for example. Um, <laughs> Brennan is playing in in A. He'll just comp like I think we did something like this last night. This is a good example. So he's just comping an A note, and then I'll play like an F major seven over it, and then we'll go to E. He's still hitting the A, and then I'll go D minor. B minor. So I can, so if he's sticking down there, an A, we can float around Stasic and I in these chords and create these chord progressions around the root note. So that's kind of like a, a way to make it multi layered or sort of polyphonic all of a sudden. So it's got more than just this groove, it's got all these cool colors and chords around, around the actual root note. So it kind of makes it more interesting. So it's like a parfait. 
you know, it starts to get a little more interesting as, as we go, go along. All right, um, I got to ask you about Wappy last night. Yeah. Which is, by the way, one of my, continues to be one of my favorite songs. It seemed like um, you were getting into the jam, and then Stasic goes into the talk back and says something, and then he starts a single, I don't know about single note thing, but a strong note. Yeah. And then the whole jam centered around that. Yeah. Now, what does he say into the talk back, and then... Um, how, how did that unfold from your perspective? Yeah, so sometimes he'll, if, we've, if we're in like a root note, he'll be like, okay, I'm going to target the, the four or the five in the, in the scale pattern. So he'll kind of like emphasize a different note, and, it'll, and it would normally throw us off. We'll be like, what's going on? So he's like, just to let you know, I'm going to be doing this. Just not, don't, don't let it throw you off. And then we kind of jump on it and melt into the idea. Not make it jagged, sort of slowly get there naturally. You and know? then, yeah, it built really, yeah, really yeah. nicely. And that's all, that's, that's the very democratic ideology of, of the jam. It's like anyone can kind of like add or say anything, and then you kind of have to, like a school of fish following each other, sort of complete, complete the sentences in a way. Truncated. I mean, you guys. One, one of the great things about you is that you're really uh, the venues know when you're going to start and end your sets and stuff like that. Yeah, so, like, yeah. do they? What, yeah. what if you get toward the end of the first set and it's just a jam is just starting to blossom, but you're 72 minutes in? I mean, do you just? Oh, it's cold and calculated. By the time we start the set, we we kind of know where we're going to be roughly because we've played so many shows that we can write out a set list and put the time we go okay well Wapi will definitely have about 12 minutes to 10 minutes to play with inside that song so that's added into the the timeline but isn't it also kind of like I, I i i feel like maybe it's somewhere when you when you get up in the morning and you're just naturally get up at 9 30 like yeah. no matter what time you go to bed the night before yeah, that yeah. kind of thing so when it comes to a set list in the middle of your set though you, you can kind of like feel the time and look down and be like yep that's what i thought yeah it's it bayless we call bayless father time because <laughs> he's like so cognizant of of time and i think playing festivals that's perfect uh, for uh, festivals yeah definitely keeps that sort of thing massaged as a band because no one's going to be like the jerk and play over in umphreys mcgee that's just not our style it's like we're super crack tight and we want to follow the rules but not musically 
but you punish you know, your, so it's like, I mean, you punish your openers if they do. Right? You know, you know, so like yeah, you guys, exactly. <laughs> Our crew is hard on openers that go over. They're like, you guys don't get to eat tonight. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> we had one band that that um, ate our crew's pizza after the show once. That was really bad. That was bad news. That was Rob. No, I never touch their food. Don't start with that crap. I'm good about that, right? I leave your crap That's alone. Some crew crew lore. <laughs> Um, the boondock sessions is something where you sit down kind of like you're doing here and, and walk people through. Now, is that in your studio by your house? Is that where I was when, when I remember Alibaba's? Do you remember you had me out to the house? Alibaba's was rehearsing. Yeah, yeah, that's like on Dead End Road, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I've created music since I could even think, you know. So that's kind of like the go-to den of music for me, you know. Would you ever consider a monthly boondock Thing? Yeah, I definitely thought about that because I have so much gear in there and so many cool little devices and it could be a sonic sort of palette changer for people too. Like, what if we plug this into this and see what kind of results we get? Or building a song from ground up, doing the drums and the bass and the keys and the vocals and the guitars, doing just little stuff like that, kind of like everyday workings in the studio, turn it into some sort of That could be a good like thing, uh, you know? little web webisode yeah, type thing, yeah. make it kind of like a Mr. Wizard in the studio. Totally, totally, yeah. And and half the time I end up surprising myself, and that's kind of the fun, <laughs> it's part of it, yeah. Don't, don't, don't get put electrocuted, that in there. yeah. I'm waiting on your countryside project because I know you've got an itch for country and I know you have maybe hundreds of songs. Yeah, I mean, as far as logged songs, I think I have about 800 and... 50 really what yeah. now what, what flavor country are we talking that's not just that's like all my songs okay and, and wrapped up but um i mean everything a lot of like folkier stuff um to to like top 10 radio country but because i was in a country band before i'd done the alibaba sahini thing so and we were destined to become like the next big country act in nashville right and, and what happened why did, why did that stop again it came well, to a screeching uh, halt yeah uh, uh, someone in the band got into a car wreck and oh, killed right. someone so it was like and it was a big legal matter so we had to get, you know give everything back so you know it was kind of rough so i went back to my parents house reassembled and sort of said all right i'm going to try to put all styles into one band and then we started forming Alibaba Stahini. Any thoughts on uh, A Star is Born? Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. The new one or the original? Well, you know? any. I like, uh, I'm a big Chris Christopherson fan so that's, uh, that goes back. Border Lord. What a great, great record I've that never is. seen anyone silence a Bonnaroo crowd like Chris Christopherson. Right? He came really? out and was like, and even Bonnaroo was like, <sighs> Yeah, there's a mystique there for sure. Man, his first couple of records are just really seminal, you know. Some of that Jerry Jeff Walker stuff. Um, Towns Van Zant is probably my number one lyricist of all time. Named my son after him, you know. I was like, love the guy so much. When I was I, like, no one has a name like Towns. That's a pretty cool name. Let's let's go with that. He never got his due. No, he really didn't. Tragic, you know. I got to stay in. I was in Europe with John Shane. I got to stay in this room that Towns lived in for a while, and you could you could like feel him. Wow, that's cool. I mean, I just really. There's a great documentary on Towns Van Zant. Um, I'm not aware of that. Is it on Netflix? You think? Probably. I forget the name of it, but it it was put out maybe about eight years ago. But really well done doc on Towns Van Zant. Worth checking. Steve Earle's um, tribute to him when he died that he wrote yeah. like one of the most moving songs I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, he says some really moving stuff in the film, too, like where uh, 
he was playing Russian roulette right in front of, of Steve. And oh, he was like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, if that bullet hits your head, you know, kind of thing. Like that kind of crazy. I was yeah. like, whoa. Duh. That's that's what that's what the real deal is all about, I guess. You can hear it in the music and in the lyrics, you know. But have you thought about doing something with that country stuff? You know, I thought, you know, I, I've got, it's, this stuff's been on the shelf for so long, I really haven't thought of it. I'd like the Avalanche demo CD to be heard, because that's really good. It's what we did in South Bend before we got, like, all the labels kind of interested. And there's, like, 15 tunes, and they all sound like top 10 country. Like, just kick-ass songwriting. Amazing musicianship. Um, it was like Eagles mixed with Crosby, Stills, and Nash and top 10 country. It was kind of like what see, we were going for. I would love to see you do this now. I mean, this is on the cusp here, Rob, but, mm. I mean... If you were to be able to to be able to be the bridge between country and what Umphreys is doing, it could yeah. open up a whole new fan base into this that world. Is a, that is a because uh, well, we have like songs like "Ride on Pony," which is is kind of like the, kind of crosses a little bit into like soft rock balladry and country. I like that little bit of edge where it's still got a little bit of the rock and roll arranging. Yes, and it's not such predictable chord progressions. It can kind of get a little bit outside of the box, like progressive country. Like whoever thought of that, that might be a new one. Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. here, let's try some. Yeah, let me go. see if I can do a progressive country song. Um. <laughs> Like, can we fuse in these other vibes with the countries? Like prog cunt. Like, yeah, prog cunt. There we go. Whoa. Perfect. That's the name of the band right there. Sturgill's the obvious <laughs> comparison, right? You're a fan of Sturgill. Oh, I love Sturgill. Talk about a lifesaver in the in the, the realm mm -hmm. of, of, like, outlaw country sound. You know, like, bringing back the, the murky analog, you know, Waylon Jennings sort of overtones. Just love it. Love it. Has there been any collaboration with him and Alfreys yet? No, uh, we... Locking me. Covered him. We did uh, <laughs> in Chicago the Arms, and uh, we I think we sent him a copy of it, and and they dug it. You know. Hey Pete Shapiro, so, if you're listening, just yeah. saying, good idea for Locking. Total. Hey, anytime. Sturgill's the man. But what's the what, what's the propriety on that? Like, can you reach out to him, or would it really be up to him to reach out to you? No, I mean, our doors are always open. I mean, as far as with any of that, it would almost be like a festival organizer would have to be like, we're going to pair you two together. Shappy, shappy, shappy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which was the beautiful thing with the Jason Bonham uh, thing we did right. at Lock-In. Right. Like, wow, how, how well did that go off? That was amazing. Speaking of which, take yeah. us into the rehearsal room the very first yeah. day he walks in. How familiar is he with Humphreys McGee? How much did he have an idea of how he wanted the Zeppelin tunes to go? And, and whose right. idea was it to play Conduit? 
Yeah, okay. Whoa. Um, so, you got all that? Yeah. I, so, he will. He's sharp. So He'll when, knock right through them. So when we first met Jason, uh, we just kind of all sat around. It was in Florida. We, we were playing the Fillmore in Miami because he lives down there. So he drove his Ferrari up and parked it outside of the venue. You know, a special <laughs> spot reserved for Mr. Jason Bonham. He comes backstage and, and super cool and cordial, just starts flailing stories just right away. Just just one of the rough dogs, you know. Like he's got all the best stories. You know, all the pagey stories and just all the stuff that you'd never heard before. Like it's really crazy. So then he goes, Man, I love that song Plunger. That digga 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 gum digga digga gum 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 digga and then he goes so he was like singing me you what you wrote that you wrote all that what we wrote so it's like i mean you yeah it was pretty that was like a holy shit moment right there and he goes that's a fucking great song and then he's like i got all the conduit down and and then I got more into the record. So he'd been listening to, to us for a bit before our meeting. Huh. And then it was time that Lockin came around. So that was like a couple weeks after the, the Miami visit. And so we had already met, and it was great, and we couldn't wait to see each other again. Then we get backstage in the rehearsal room. He's got his custom little mini DW Bonham set backstage, you know, and I got my, amp, my little practice amp next to him. And uh, Was he impressed that, that you had a rehearsal room? Oh, yeah. He was like, way to go. And he... he First, when he got there, he went into his own room and just warmed up on practice pad for like 45 minutes, just getting his arms ready and stuff. Super, you know, tidy. Yeah, just really like uh, uh, just the way to do it. You know, it's like you can't play the drums for X amount of years without doing that sort of Mm -hmm. tendency. So then then we get the drum set up. And at one point... He, he, he starts going into like hot for teacher Alex Van Halen I'm like oh man you, you, you dig Alex I love Van Halen's like my favorite fucking band and hmm. all of a sudden we go into like a five set uh, show backstage of all Halen tunes I think we started with <laughs> did you record us of that? yeah I, no it was just we, we started with like <laughs> And then we did, uh, we did, I'm the one, the one you like. We did that one, and then we did, uh, we did Hot for Teacher, you know. Uh. And he's singing it also while he's playing it, like Chris, ooh, yeah. Right, you know, t- t- teachers, and then we went into uh, we did Atomic Punk. We, you know, what was it? Um, uh, let me. Then we did Mean Street. We did the... Or was it? And then we did... Uh, then we did Unchained. So that was like a dream come true. I was like, whoever, who thought that Bonham knew all, all of the... The Van Halen stuff. And then come to find out, he's like played with all these guys because he's like, of course. everyone wants Jason in their band. So he's like played with Whitesnake, played with Foreigner, 
played with Bad Company. You know, he's like he's like he's Sammy Hagar's drummer now. You know, so he's a, he's a hot hot item. I heard sure. rumor about uh, Sammy touring again this summer. Is that yeah, true? I don't I, know. I think so. I think can, so. Can you share one of the stories that he told? Uh, let me think. Let me think when I could actually get away. Yeah, that's with always telling. the hard part. Um, <laughs> oh man. Well, like when when they were rehearsing for Zeppelin, like he he kind of thought that they were going to do more shows. You know. You mean the one that they won the Grammy for the little three off? Out in yeah, they, were, they did just the celebration day yeah. at the O2 Arena, and it just went off so well, and. I think the other guys in the band were like, you know, we loved your father so much and that we just can't do it, even though you play exactly like him. You know the arrangements better than we do. Um, it's just too hard for us, you know. And then Jason thought about it. I mean, Plant and Bonham went back to when they were like 15 years old. They, they knew each other that long. So it's like it really fucked the band up. You know, it was over when Bonham died, you know. And at least they got that one performance in. So that's kind of, I think, the way he's, he's probably looking at it now. You know? We got other, the, the cashmere at the Atlantic Records celebration is pretty good. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard that one. They yeah. open with cashmere. Totally. But the other post Bonham Zeppelin things have been, um, other than celebration, were eh. Right, right. Um, but what were some of the other songs that were thrown around that almost made this set list that didn't make it? And, and do you think there's a chance you'll play with them more? Like, can he show up and sit in with you guys? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, th- I think we were going to try to do Out on the Tiles. Remember that one? Which was like, I- I'm all about the B-Side Zeppelin stuff. Well, yeah. A lot of your fans are, too. So backstage, we're just going through all these Zeppelin tunes, and he's he's like a kid in a candy store with this music he grew up with, and it's like ingrained in his body. He's just like like the first time he's played it, sort of attitude, like he has the best attitude in rock and roll. It was amazing. So he came to you having like conduit and plunger on his mind, right? Yeah. What yeah. were some of your other songs that jumped out to him? Um, let me think. I think he checked out like Wizard Burial Ground once, you know, he's like, whoa, that's the metal man, you know, kind of stuff. But we were we were focused on getting all the, the, the endings right of the Zeppelin stuff. So we really worked backstage getting the set tight because he was kind of like the musical director for the Zeppelin stuff. Like we knew the stuff, but we had to tighten it all up as a band. Two drummers like this first time Bonham's probably played his dad's stuff with another drummer, so we got to get that all in sync. And Chris is such a good drummer that it just worked out perfectly. So ask Chris about that. Yeah. Here is my advice to Humphreys fans. Don't miss any Humphrey shows in Miami from here on out. Right. <laughs> Do not you know? miss those. Um, Serious. Another guy, a guy we just had on the show, mm-hmm. um, Larry Keel. Oh, love Larry. You got Say to... it right. Larry Keel. Larry, Larry, Larry Keel. Although the drawl isn't what it used to be because he's clean living. Right, right. But he's still a wonderful, great acoustic musician. And uh, Chris Mitchell had a hand in him coming to the anthem That's and right. sitting in with you, yep. right? Yep. I know Chris had uh, 
previously recorded Larry way back in the day, so they've, they'd had a, a relationship. And he probably lives right up the road from Chris, I think, too, in the same area. Um, and just, uh, man, Larry is just such a badass. He's like an American treasure, and people need to kind of know more about him. Absolutely. You know? There's that cool uh, documentary, like on YouTube, there's like a little documentary about him. It's pretty cool. I forget what it's called, but you could probably just go Larry Keel Doc. But check it out. You, you, you'll be an instant fan, anyone who hasn't checked out Larry. Now, that's another thing. How do you decide what material? And did you get to hang in the rehearsal room and pick around with him? Because I know you've been a fan. Because yeah. when we talked about maybe doing one of our live events with you, that was the first name that was kicked yeah, around. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we just, I think what we ended up doing is uh, having dinner backstage, which was, which was proper. Just kind of sit back, have some food, and talk about life, and then go pick up the guitars and walk on stage for sound check. And, you know, Larry's got such big ears, he can just kind of, like, fit in anywhere and just kind of pick up the pieces where, wherever we're le- left leaving things off. So um, it, it was... I th- did we do Glory? I forget what we did. I don't exactly. remember. I'd have to... I, what we... A three-set show with an acoustic set in yeah. Virginia. Can yeah. that happen? That and would have be Larry cool. come out? I know. We definitely should. I know Chris... All Chris got to do is pick up the phone, so... Yeah, Larry's a kindred spirit and, and always welcome in the Umphreys camp, for sure. Um, is, is the acoustic thing still part of your lexicon? Yeah. We, we With the like band, it. I mean, of course it is your personally. But yeah. Um, I know you and you alone we've been getting lately, but that's been dominating the mm-hmm. acoustic slot lately. Yeah, I think it's a little harder to, to like, it's like, being a major league baseball player and you practice with a wiffle ball bat and then you go back to the wooden bat. So it's, it's like so much harder to play. There's no sustain. It's, it, it, so it's gotta be placed right. The acoustic thing. Cause the electric guitar just sings and the acoustic guitar goes tink. You know? But I love the crack the crack yeah, of the yeah, bat of the I acoustic mean, guitar. And me being kind of a perfectionist, it just shows all the warts, you know. And, and but I love it. I, I mean, when I'm at home, that's all I usually play is acoustic because it's sort of it's like weightlifting for your hands. And then you go back to the to the uh, electric, and it's like wiffle ball bat like analogy, you know. <laughs> can we show you off a little bit? Yeah. Let's when do we it. had Chris Mitchell on, he mentioned that you can do anybody's tone. Oh yeah. And the clip right here if you want, Rob. And the first uh, the first artist I mentioned was even Mark Knopfler, right. who's got to be one of the toughest, right? Well, hold on. What did, what did he call it though? He called it uh... Oh yeah, it was like uh, like Muppet character guitar. <laughs> so you can shape shift the personality of the tone and the, the guitar player basically. Dude, so let's play a game out of it though. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, now do, yeah, do a couple do a couple of these. Let's, let's see if you can get if you can get Rob. So um I get, we'll start. We'll start with uh, Mark Knopfler. I'll just kind of like whatever comes into my head. We'll see if we can characterize this man. Assassinate character assassination. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
like that. Yeah. Which is all done with uh, fingernails and, and the fat of the finger. So he doesn't really use a pick. So you can get those like snappy, snappy overtones. Like. So I'm really hitting, like plucking it like the way a bass player would would snap the string or pop the string on a bass. He's kind of doing the same thing, which is kind of an uh, like an Albert King. I feel like he probably got a little bit of that idea from, which is like an Albert King. But you can get so much more attack getting your finger underneath that string and snapping it like that and they it's more intense you know instantly than going pick sounds totally different the, the finger it's like spicy and chet atkins was a big part of his development right yeah totally which is, is a lot of the uh sort of more polyphonic stuff Did he influence you compositionally? Um, oh, what? So I, I boosted it. Just say that again. Did he influence you compositionally at all? Are there any of your original Like that, Chet Atkins stuff? Or Mark? Um, you know, I think it's more about it, the way he touches the guitar. It's, more it's about like, embellishing. Yeah, yeah, it's like that that little sound that he makes, like what we were explaining earlier the with elegance. his fingers. Yeah, yeah you definitely just, do that. It's, it's all kind of inside the fingers, you know? As far as like composition, not as much. You know. well, tell us, tell us about your process of actually learning all these other styles of right. playing. Because I mean, it's one thing to have your own style, but to be able to pick up other people's yeah. tendencies like that—it's kind of like a, a mimic uh, who can do voices. You know, like you know, you don't know me, but I'm your own brother. We got Michael McDonald, <laughs> or we got uh, Brian Johnson. You gotta stand it right. You know, so it's like so you can instantly change character. If you practice it. So it's all about kind of practicing. So were you like hanging out in the house and getting high with your friends and like playing the remote control? Be like, all right, change the channel. Yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. Like, because like, before I could write music, I was learning everyone else's music. So that's kind of like the, the way, the natural progression of things. But there's know? a danger in it not allowing yourself to come out. You've actually come through that. Yeah. But do you think that because you had, so, we talked about Kill Mommy, I've talked about it with you before, mm -hmm. now you have to stop listening to your primary influence. Do you think exactly. there's so many mommies that it kind of evens out? You don't have to kill anyone? Yeah, almost <laughs> the more, yeah, the more influenced I am by kind of everything, like as a whole, that's instead of like, oh, I got my favorite album and my favorite guitar player. It's like, no, I'm actually like influenced by it all, even the worst I love bad music. Well, I don't, like I don't the problem with having too many mothers, though, too many mommies, if they're all Jewish mothers, then you got way too much guilt. <laughs> right, yes. right. But I'm, I mean, but it really has a lot to do with um, being able to, to have a Rolodex of ideas that you can really flip through and manifest all those ideas into, like, a physical form. So everyone has ideas, but can you turn them into, like, 
a muscular movement. That's the translation of what I'm trying to do with the guitar. So the more that I think about that, the more it turns into like a quantum physics-based energy. So I, I'm, I'm wanting this to happen, and then it happens. It's, it's kind of magical in a, in a way. It's hard to put a finger on it. But just by practicing that, it opens up those parts of the brain that get massaged and used. So you're, you're, you're being transcending ideas, but through muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. And the more accurate I can make those, the, the, the more refined that process becomes. In the interest of demonstrating range, how about a recent metal band like, uh, I don't know, Lamb of God or something like yeah. that? Can you maybe show? Yeah, like Meshuggah kind of stuff. Sure, or, yeah. So I'm going to detune a little. I'm going to go drop down to B. <laughs> like future of crimson i was just gonna ask you do yeah. you th- i know you're influenced by king crimson do you, are a lot of these metal bands influenced on metal? big big time uh mastodon like brent brent hines like huge uh like all those weird which is like a mastodon thing but you can hear crimson in those that's all the tension notes so resolution is like a like a root and a five, and then you flat the five. That's what Crimson based almost everything off of. So. Odd meter. One two one two three. 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 Like robot. That's kind of the idea: is to get out of having any emotion at all and just. You know, it's just like nasty. It's like hair raising. Nasty in the best way. Yep. Oof. So yeah, now we just did a little Meshuggah frip. So that was that was a double helix on character. We we kind of did a Meshuggah uh, frip, right? <laughs> Do you want to uh, tickle our ass with a feather and tease a, a, a an unperformed Humphrey song that maybe is waiting in the wings, just a piece? Yeah, sure. Well, we just came up with something yesterday. All right. In this very exact room. Which, by the way, this is December 30th, 2018. The show we've been talking about is December 19, uh, 29th, right. if any of you want the yep. tape. So this the tape. We recording. might even <laughs> play this live tonight. Who knows?
Return to Solace. Yeah, it's it's got like a uh, maybe a, a Michael Hedges meets Rush or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got to see Michael Hedges a couple times. Oh, very, what very a guy, fortunate. dude! He's like angelic. How amazing that guy was. Even his voice too. It's just something. So you come up with that? You're in the rehearsal room with the band? Just I was around? just by myself earlier yesterday, just just kind of practicing, and then stuff like that just comes out of out of the air, literally. How long does it take to take? How long does it take to go from something like that, bring it to the band, and then to actually put it on stage? I mean, could it happen? In it happened. Like yeah, that? like I'll I'll show the guys and tell them exactly what's going on, and their ears are so good. We kind of have a photographic thing now, where if someone plays something, be like, got it. Okay, let's try it. So we could run this thing twice and go out and play it. And it's very democratic for the most part. But do you ever, with your songs, you, mm -hmm. do you ever say, hey, Brendan, I'd really like a counterpoint like this? Or do you ever give them any instruction at all? Oh, for sure. Yeah. If I have like something that I can't do that needs to be done in the arrangement, yeah. Because I'm only one person. So if I have something specific in my mind, just as he would for one of his songs, like, can you do this line and for me? You know? Of course. Yeah. But then sometimes I come up, a lot of times I come up with stuff. Mm -hmm. on yeah, and Brendan might be like, well, you know what? I've been thinking about it. What if I try this? Be, you know what? That's way better. Let's do that. So that's, that's successful songwriting partnerships, you know, is like that sort of added. Yeah, you know, like the <laughs> oh. warmer, better, you know, like the Tenacious D you intro, your, you know. <laughs> when you leave the ego at the door, it really helps. Yeah, you know, and the thing is is we're friends first and we play music second i can i kind of like keep that mantra always flowing in my head friends first music second it's like there's got to be a pyramid to reason Stanley Clark, Return to Forever. Um, yeah. They were an influence on you. And the one one interview I heard you talk about um, playing so you can hear the space between the notes. Can, mm -hmm. you, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, definitely. Like when you have a paragraph, this is a good good analogy. When, imagine a solo being like a run-on sentence. Okay, that's a that's a bad that's a, a solo that's not going anywhere. It's kind of just got a lot of words. Like a lot of my writing. Oh, I was going to say, there are interviews when I start talking. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to the house, and then we went to the... You're pushing the genre, you're the man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's, 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 it's kind of based on, like, when do you put the punctuation in a, in a solo? I kind of like try to think of it as, like, how you would write a great paragraph with, with a lot of depth and meaning. And so... Let me let me try to make a musical example of like say a solo that has a bunch of space between the notes, but then it's it's com it's got some complexity. So we'll just do something in A minor. 
example like that, where it's got some complexities and some rhythmic things going on, but there's a ton of gaps between these like sharp moments in the song. So there's Joe like Pass a, too, right? Yeah, love Joe Pass. Man, talk about uh, creating like piano guitar, where where you know pi piano players have ten fingers that they can work with, like ten finger chords, and guitars are sort of limited with the amount of like stride and, and polyphony that you can really pull off. So at the end of the day, I just love the, the, the fact of like piano-laden guitar where there's all these things that cascade over. So it sounds more like three players at once. This is like some of the hardest stuff to do on the guitar is like the Joe Pass idea. Here's, here's like my take on like a Joe Pass thing. kind of hear hear like three things kind of happening inside one you know and and there's things that you can't do on the guitar that you can do on the piano but then there's things you can do on the guitar that you can't do on the piano you know vice versa like bend notes you know you can't do that on the piano it sounds really weird <laughs> you can't do that. Well, can't you reach some of them? Yeah, well, oh yeah, about reaching in. And doing yeah, that. yeah, the tempered pianos. Yeah. Totally. Um, how, how long? I don't want to get Bobby hating on me. No, we're we're good. We're forty-five in. So, well, know. we should we should we'll start thinking about it. Time yeah. to start wrapping it up. Bobby's Actually, looking. If, if if anything's like any other interview, then then this is how it would go. So we have five more minutes right. until last fifteen. <laughs> right, right. We have one more question. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I have to be careful. Bobby he says, "Squeeze my lemon." To the juice runs down my leg. Well, I, I I like this. I think we should make an annual tradition to sit down with you once a year at least. <laughs> sure. I mean, we can up and touch on all these different. I mean, there's so many places to go. You well, know? how about this? Well, well, do you want to talk on. about the students piece we talked about briefly? Well, one more song. One more okay. song. Can you show how Thin Lizzy is an influence on Little Gift? Oh yeah, that's that's just that first riff. Um. <laughs> kind of talking to you he kind of talked a little with his words you know he kind of let you in on the storyline and then boom you know i like that sort of personal talking to you you know more character vocal 
so yeah, that's that that song definitely had some Phil Lynott, you know, love in it for sure. And I just love Thin Lizzy. Man, talk about a group with a great catalog of records and just ridiculous tunes. He and drank himself to death, essentially, right? Yeah, I think heroin too. Oh, yeah. I, I read the stories. Um, Huey Lewis was actually a really good buddy with Phil. He Huey produced his last record. Isn't that wild? How is he doing, Huey? Pretty good, I think. I think he's trying to get that vocal back, you know, because he had a little issue. Yeah. And I think around the corner we'll see what, what's going to happen with those guys. So. Thank you for indulging me, Seth. What, the teaching? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you were bringing that up to me in the car. I would like to know how it's changed your approach, teaching kids. And do you teach them stuff like we just talked about Kill Mommy? Like if they have one artist that they listen to yeah, primarily, yeah. or you ch- tell them to shy away from listening to that Big artist? Big time. It's, it's any one, you know, guitar player could be the kiss of death, you know, if you want to try to be a successful guitarist. You know, you have to find your own voice. As much as I loved Randy Rhodes, I knew that I had to stop sounding like him when I was 16. So I'd probably spent three years learning the Randy Rhodes Ozzy tribute record, the live one, which just had this, like the best fucking guitar in the world on it, and like all the solos, just note for note. And then I was like starting to really sound too much like Randy Rhodes. And then I started using my drumming skills to 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 get rid of bad tendencies on the guitar. So I think what separated my style was the fact that I was a drummer first. So, so I could really think notes as like, say, a tom roll, like digga 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 digga, which is kind of like plunger. Digga 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 digga. Like a drum. It almost sounds like a drum riff, just adding notes, right? So, so that was kind of an ace in the hole for me, you know. Plunger also made Seth dance last night. It's hard to get him. He was dancing. I was like, awesome. Angular riff to dance to. He was doing it. And we're talking about this stuff. And I'm looking. I'm looking at a Disco Biscuits poster, a Mo poster. Uh huh. I got. You know, tra- there's a tray poster. Yeah. Bob Dylan's last midnight oh, hold on, hold on, show hold on, hold on. ever. There's a Sorry, somewhere right. with this, Rob. And we're talking about Kill Mommy. And so I flash back 20 years ago when when you were a band coming up. Yeah. And you had the shadow. You were under the shadow of not sounding too much like Fish and not totally. sounding too much like the Dead. Yep. And now there's all these other bands. I'm not going to say their names, but there's all these other bands that are coming up in the scene that haven't quite found their own voice yet. Yeah. And are, yeah. are very much coming out of sounding like you. And you and in particular. Li- yeah. Yeah. So and you know. The key to that was is when we got in to this game as Umphreys McGee, I kind of saw something that the scene wasn't doing, and it's like, that's what we're going to do. Right. We're going to add metallic properties is, to, to it. Which is funny. When you mentioned that on Timeless Music Podcast, mm-hmm. Stasic didn't even know that. I right. love that. That was one of my favorite moments. Go ahead, Seth. No, I'm sorry. So I'm just curious. Like, I don't know how to formulate the question, really, but to me... I'm waiting for this, these bands, these younger bands, to really find their voice. Yeah. Because w- what, what they are is extremely talented musicians. Totally, Extremely yes. talented. But they yep. haven't quite found their voice yet. Yep. And, you know, I don't know. Well, you know, to speak to them. When, you think, when you think about how hard it is now in the present tense to write something original, I mean, it, it's way harder than even 10 years ago. Just, like, the bell curve of, like, song and songs and chord progressions being, like, right. used up. Like, there's only so many combinations that can be friendly to the ear. So that's that's when the term p- being progressive, I think, helps open up getting outside of the box. And, and my biggest concern with writing music is that it sounds appealable, but then it sounds like us at the same time. Hardest thing to get, to, to make, a, like, a 
a poppy guitar thing, make your own thing, you know. Um, like I like to use tension notes, and it still sounds poppy. Here's here's kind of I got something in mind. clashing notes inside of something that's a little poppy now we have a little bit more of a fingerprint yeah you know? and yeah. i think that more bands need to start kind of taking taking a taking a, a plunge into doing that yeah, yeah. plunge exactly <laughs> <laughs> there you go right it's on the tip but you know and and a lot of it is just like a fret away to becoming a different sound like say uh like say a good example of a mistake is this. Right? <laughs> he was play he was supposed to play. But he happened to be a half fret off. And it was like an accent that like is the most memorable four notes ever. All those clashing tones in there is what makes it work. You know? And and get away from common chords like like this like bar major chords like this that just they sound so like boring vanilla yeah i mean you know i love i love that stuff first but if you're gonna if you're going to make anything happen you might as well take that chord and do what we did in uh mantis watch we go So instead of playing, I just sharp all of my unbarred fingers to that, and then we got. Just that slight change makes all the difference. Instead of going, <laughs> you know, which that's what another band would do. Now we're gonna So just that little bit of dissonance makes it a fingerprint now. You know? Beautiful. I'm in heaven over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you went from drums to keys to sax to bass all before guitar. Yeah, yeah. So are any of your songs written around sax lines? Oh wow. No, no. Uh I kind of put the sax out. The sax is something you have to like work at because your embouchure goes. Which is your your Apparently mouth? Apparently, really blue. Your mouth, yeah, yeah. It's, my mouth is just not what it used to be, <laughs> basically. Uh, but like all the muscles, there's like 35 groups of muscles that create like a good embouchure. And well, once talk about coughing to that today. Yeah, and it's like it's like you ha it's like you have to weight lift your mouth to really be a great sax player. But more so even with trumpet though. With yeah, the, I mean, the for sax, sure. You, I think it's a, it's a little easier to kind of get. Yeah, there's like a, a, a stiffness that you kind of. But the amateurs, it's where it's at. Yeah, and just the, and then it's hard to play for a long time, so I kind of like started to put it on the but, shelf. But to, <laughs> to what Rob's saying though is um, maybe not so much playing the saxophone, but the style of oh, yeah. the saxophone. Oh yeah. Oh man. Does that come? Are you playing that big time? Yeah, exactly. Like John Coltrane and and sort of this, the way that, that a sax player would jump around, because guitar players play linear like like this. Linear would be like you know. Um, <laughs> 
like scalar runs kind of in in one direction. Uh, sax players, since they have they have keys, they can arpeggiate so easily. Like. So I'm always thinking like in terms of arpeggiating. And a lot of chromaticism like. Stuff like that. A lot of jumping from like, like one point all the way up there like. That see, and then like fast, it's like, like, which is kind of my uh, what I call like a like a flowering scale. Like when you play something like that, instead of going in a room, those notes get jumbled up in a large room. Think about all those notes clashing because they're right next to each other. When you do this. It's, those notes harmonize with each other in a room because they're they're stacked in thirds and fifths away from each other. So th they start to stack in the room with the echo, the natural echo in the room. So instead of, like I'm saying, playing Lanier, I'm going to go. Sounds way more interesting, yeah. you know. Now, when you have someone like Jeff Coffin playing with you, do you mm -hmm. do you change your tone and change your ways to kind of come? To Definitely, or like, or like, say when when Re Josh Redman was in the band, when he's like right next to me for like yeah. half the night, you know, which is like so like crazy. I got like one of these, these <laughs> best sax players in the world, you know, right on stage with us. So I, I play it very safe. Like my character changes a bit. I have total appreciation, and now I have to make a sonic space for this other lead instrument because I'm like lead guitar player. So I cognizantly take that in consideration and really make sonic room for this other voice. So so I'm not stepping on toes. Uh, if anything, I want to finish sentences with him. You know. Any more work with Josh Redman coming? Anything planned? Um, not at the moment, but I mean, it's always in the back because he knows our catalog really well, and it's 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 sort of a we can just like walk right into the band and we can play shows, so it's great. Yeah, my first Josh Redman show, I drove overnight to see him and Pat Metheny was in his band. Oh, wow. oh. Pat Metheny's an influence on you. Can yes, you? yes. I mean, the, like the bright size life stuff all the way up until now. Yeah, it's just so good. That's like one of the best. I think, is that Bobby? Yeah, I, think, I think we are on the... Do you want to end with Eruption? Yes, real quick, Eruption. All right, thank you so much. We got to get out yes, of the van and get you. out of your way. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys, so much. We will see you on the road soon.
there we were backstage at the Tabernacle in the in the rehearsal room. And One of the many. Yeah, the band. Oh, that was the rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. That took the, over and started in that Jamiroquai thing pretty shortly after we left. Not that shortly because we talked to Jeff Coffin after and then. Not that shortly? Yeah, because we talked to Coffin right after that uh-huh. for like an hour and something. And then when we were talking, we then we talked to Myers. Or no. Ah, I forget the direction of it. Who was on first? I don't know, but it was nice hanging out there. Very welcoming to us. And um, it was such a great New Year's run. Four, four incredible shows. If you want a full recap on the shows and you didn't listen to our prior tweener, Rob and myself, but mainly Rob and... Sarah from the Umphreaks Parents podcast. Who's also a member of the Osiris Podcast Network. And we are going to... Uh, recap all of the shows and share a lot of the tidbits of them. So. Right. That is not out yet, but we will read your comments. You send us emails to Inside Out. It's w- out now if they're listening. Is it? Uh, well, maybe, yeah, by now, yeah. InsideOutWTNS at gmail.com. But it's not out by now, so we can't read comments yet. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so if you send us comments on that and on this Jake Seneca interview, and also if you have any hybrid interview ideas, we're doing more and more where we take a member or two of two different acts, sit them down together. It's a little more of a challenging interview, but if you can't get into a good, comfortable zone, some cool stuff can come out of it. Check out our Salmon Dusters interview. It was one of those. We have three in the can, three mini ones from the... Excuse me, Holiday Hootenanny, including one with Larry Kill and Jason Carter. Larry Kill and Jason Carter. And we did, we're doing more and more of these. We did one with Mike Wilson and uh, Nick from Big Something. Yeah. Rob, That's about it. Well, I also wanted to talk about those two other podcasts on the... Uh, Osiris. Yeah, because I was listening to That's the Boss, Artie Lang, on the Fenoya, Mike Fenoya's... Uh, podcast, the Amigos podcast, comedian, and he's a funny dude. Yeah, not just because he's a comedian, and he's all over Osiris. Uh, excuse me, he's all over Sirius as well. I heard him on the Sirius back in the old Opie days. Remember the Opie? Uh, there was Opie Anthony show, but I kept listening afterwards. I thought the Opie show was pretty cool after that, but I guess their ratings went down. He kind of went away. Anyways, Fenoy is part of that whole world, and when he had Artie Lang on, Artie talked about how Bruce Springsteen reached out to him and actually gave him a call uh, at a point when Artie was at a low point. And then uh, Bob Crawford intimated that his daughter had an issue. Bob Crawford of Avid Brothers, who's also of the Road to Now podcast. And on their episode 115, he tells a story about how Bruce Springsteen reached out to him and called to inquire about how his daughter was doing and really? if there was anything he could help. Yes, Bruce Springsteen. The older I get, the more I learn about him. He's just a real quality. He's sincere. a real mensch. And those are two great podcasts. Amigos. Who knew Bruce Springsteen would be such a mensch? He really is. He's, he's true to heart. Good man. But the Amigos podcast is on the Osiris Podcast Network. And the Road to Now is great. I, I'm at the point now where the new Road to Now comes out. I'm checking it out. You know, They have a new one on the middle class. What, what is the middle class? What is the middle in America anymore? Is it eroding? Is it going away? What's the story? And these folks, they get college professors, and they get people with a personality, with real intelligence and insight. It's a great podcast. All right, Seth. So tell us, where are you headed? What have you? You've got you're you're off to Jam Cruise, and how many other things? Well, thanks for asking. Now, uh, oh, next, sure, thank you. It's almost like it's my job. Except for you don't get paid. We're getting there. Cush, cush. So, uh, Jam Cruise. Yeah, I leave for Jam Cruise this week. Very excited about it. And after Jam Cruise is Panic on La Playa in Mexico and Girls Just Wanna ha- Girls Just Wanna Weekend, which is Brandy Carlisle's event. Oh, I love Brandy. Who's on that? The Indigo Girls. Oh, I love and, them. Um, several others. Uh, but 
Jam Cruise, uh, you know, this is our 17th sailing, and I'm one of the proud. I'm proud to say I'm one of the uh, few that have been on every single Jam Cruise. And um, this year we've got a lot of fun stuff in store, and the relationships that – it's interesting, Rob, because we have the relationships I have had with the Jam Cruise artists that are brought to – the show, yeah, and then they've developed even more on the show. So going back to Jam Cruise, there's all sorts of stuff and shenanigans that are in store, and I'm just super excited from the Jam Cruise wedding where I've got Turquoise doing a wedding band. I love Turquoise. I love the I love drummer and singer I'm from so Southern Turquoise right now. Avenue and Frasco, Andy Frasco, and um, Sean Eccles, his guitar player, and um, just several others uh, doing doing a wedding party. It's going to be ridiculously fun. Jamleywood squares, like Hollywood squares, but uh, j- you know, Jam Cruise style with met with like Mark Brownstein and uh, Big Sam and Jennifer Hartswick and oh god, the list goes on and on. I'm super excited this year. I'm going in with the approach of quality. Over quantity, dude. You gotta when you're at girls just want to have fun. You gotta go see my girl Patty Griffin. I revered her in Relic. She is a wonderful songwriter, great performer. If she's got that guy from Nashville with her, he's an incredible, amazing side man. You also got Lucius, Katie yeah, Tunstall like is wonderful. Yeah. Margot Price, mm-hmm. who I just saw. I wanted with Bobby to, at yeah, the you know, but you know what though, Margot, I I I pitched to her to do uh, the Price is Right, and then she's like, no. I'm like, how about the Price is Wrong? She's like, no. I'm like, well. I mean, some on. people don't like plays on words with their names. Okay, so Spoon, big deal. So Spoon a lot of bands are like that, dude. Come on. A well, last name is Weiner. It's not my fault. I grew up being called Wiener Weiner. I introduced you as a Wiener many times. Mm, long and hard. <laughs> well, folks, we appreciate you listening in. Seth is going to report back. Uh, we're gonna. We've got our major episodes coming up with Jeff Coffin and with Isaac Teal. With Chris Myers, but we also we've got a bunch of other audio that we're going to try to put out. We want to have a poolside chat that we're going to release uh, oh, and pair that the, with the a, with a Seth update from just fresh off the Jam Cruise the boat. Pool, you're talking about the poolside broadcast I did with Tommy Hamilton. Yes, we're going to lift a little of that. We've got Johnny Knapp that audio. The, that was the Tommy Hamilton from Holidays, where he. Um, well, we'll leave it for you all to listen to, but there's some there's some gems in there. He he actually he emailed me the other day. He was he wanted to know if we released it. I said no. He said why? <laughs> so. Well, we're trying to get in a position where we can just pump out shows on a weekly basis, and we could do that with your help. Maybe you got maybe you maybe you're the owner of REI. Maybe maybe you or your father or mother get us a sponsorship with a microphone company, a recording company. Telefunken. Telefunken, we love you. It's just like a Telefunken U forty seven. The bottom line is, thank yeah, you for man. listening. We really appreciate it. We are pushing forward and trying to make all that we can here. And we, I mean, Rob, I looked, uh, Rob and I sat down tonight. Rob, do you remember that list of, of all the content that we have that we're sitting on right now? Yep. We've got a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. On. A lot of exciting things that could go on this year. A lot of stuff on the table. Diamond just... Street Live. We'll tell you about that sometime when it becomes a reality. Right. When we do these live events, please support them because then it helps us do more and more and yeah, more. Yeah, but they can support us before a live event. All they got to do is go to Apple's iTunes podcast and get, right, leave a, a nice review. Give us a nice five-star review. Oh, every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. 
Or if you want, you can call my mother at 954-722 and tell her that call her son, mother. the podcaster, is call doing well. Mother. Call my mother. Hold on. Let's call her right now. No, we're going <laughs> to sign off. Folks, we'll be back at you soon. Thanks for listening. Adios. Never be another time again